Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello and welcome to today's virtual program at the Commonwealth Club. Tonight's program and the club's new virtual efforts are generously supported by Chan Zuckerberg Initiative and a collaboration of local funders and donors. We are grateful for their support and hope others will follow their example to support the club during these uncertain times. Thanks to Dr. Len Saputo for joining us today. Hi, Len. Nice to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. Well, I'm Dr. Robert Lee Kilpatrick, Chair of the Health and Medicine Member-Led Forum here at the club and CEO of Health Innovation for People. As a member of the Bioethics Master's Program Advisory Board at Columbia University and a general advisor to Berkeley Skydeck, which is a leading technology incubator and accelerator, I see health from different perspectives. Today, I am honored to be in conversation with Dr. Len Saputo, a practicing physician of long standing. Having received his MD degree from Duke University, Len has authored books, including A Return to Healing, Radical Healthcare Reform, and also The Future of Medicine and also Science, Spirituality, and Medicine. Len hosts the radio show, The Voice of Reason, which may be accessed through his website at drsaputo.com. Len also founded the Health Medicine Forum, which was created to facilitate discussions around all aspects of healthcare, including the question of how we can create the healthcare system that we all want. Welcome, Len. Thank you. You know, it's been a long time that we've been preparing for something like this. I started out in 1994 with all this, and here we are almost 30 years later getting this word out to people who need to hear it. Well, Len, you're on board with something completely new. Uh, Today is the first program in a new series titled A Healthy Society, The Whole Story. And it's called The Whole Story because the root of the word health is actually the word whole. So everything that affects health is relevant to our discussion today. Housing, employment, education, opportunity, you name it. What do you think about that? Well, we're at a time that's moving quickly. And I think we're coming to our senses, particularly when we have a tragic situation like COVID-19 now. And that seems to bring us together and, and awakens us. And there's something in the human that is very connecting. As soon as there's a disaster, we we come together, we want to support each other. We're looking for ways to build community. And that's what this in the bottom and, and the bottom line is all about. It's about building community in a thoughtful way. Well, you know, that's a good way to put it. That's the main reason I agreed to do this at the Commonwealth Club, because we have an audience here uh, behind the green button on the computer, and we're talking directly to all of you. Uh, and everything that we have to say it is relevant for you, we hope, today. And if you have any questions, go into the comment box on the right-hand side of your screen and send them to us, and we'll do our best to answer them, won't we, Len? Absolutely. Questions are welcomed, uh, very much so. That's how the dialogue builds. <laughs> you know, Len, one of the things that really um, drives me in my work, uh, as you know, is trying to get care back into healthcare. I feel like healthcare has, uh, over time, evolved in such a way that it puts profits above people. 
uh, that outcomes uh, or health outcomes are, are not really paid uh, attention to sufficiently. So what I'd like to do is quickly get a definition from you about what we mean by health. Yeah, well, it's not just the absence of disease. You know, in, in the Western medical model, we, we do use that. And if people are on their feet and they're doing what they do with their jobs and their families, everything's supposed to be okay. But the real issue is that we have a reserve. I call it the wellness buffer. It's that reserve that keeps us away from disease. And we have about 50% of that above what we need. But when we lose it, it's like it's like going off a cliff. And it, it involves everything. It's about body, mind, emotion, spirit. It's about how we build community. It's not just about what happens to us in the, in the context of, of one illness. It's how it affects us and our families, in our communities, and globally. So the whole business of what's health, it's, it's optimal functioning in all those areas. So there's, there's, there's the health of the individual, right? Yep. You, you and Absolutely. I. It's, it's a dynamic, wouldn't you say? I mean, as, as blood pressure changes every moment, uh, health is kind of constantly moving. Families, communities, yes, would you agree with that? It's a holistic concept. It's, it's not just about one isolated aspect of our culture. It's not just about us. We live in a community, so it's not just about I, me, my, and mine. It's how I relate to my family and to my community. It's a, it's a holistic concept. And we need to move in that direction because it's not just about fixing people's symptoms. It's about bringing them into a place where their health is and they feel good, where there's a, an inner smile, where there's a, a happiness because we're, we're delighted to be who we are and we're functioning optimally. That's what real health care is about. So do you think that there's an emphasis on the, the physical uh, aspect of health, maybe at the expense of, of mental and spiritual? Oh, totally. I think that if we can get people to get well, we can get them back on their feet and back to work. The medical profession is happy. And, you know, we give lip service to to doing things that have to do with emotions, although we have psychiatry and psychologists. Uh, and, and, and that's important. But when it comes to the actual spiritual essence of who we are, we don't pay a lot of attention to that. And that's one of the biggest things that's missing in healthcare today. It's not just about bringing people back on their feet and back to work. It's about having them have a meaning in their life that's worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, you know, recently I was in a meeting with uh, the dean of uh, Berkeley School of Public Health, Michael Liu, and uh, the vice dean, I think, of collaborations, Priya Mehta. And they were really talking to me about the social determinants of health. And some of the students were saying, well, we've been reading in the media that there's a disproportionate number of deaths due to COVID-19 in the in the black and and in and the communities of people of, of color uh, disproportionate to their representation in the population and the students were saying you know uh, can you say more about that so you know doesn't that statistic point to a fact which is that health ultimately is not just about the individual or the family or the community but it's really about the entire uh, setting or the environment that a, that an individual lives in well, it's how it's distributed, too. You know, when the World Health Organization ranked uh, the United States and all the countries in the world, we were ranked 37th in the world, which is hard to believe because we've got the technology that's unbelievable. We've got the most amazing healthcare system. But because of the disparities, it takes us way down. And when you look at the fact that there are at least 20 million people that don't even have insurance, and now that COVID-19 is out there, 
and we're in lockdown and people are losing their jobs and their health insurance, that's getting even worse. So the disparities is what we have to work on. So the things that we're seeing that the blacks or Mexicans or the other groups that are generally not getting the same care deserve that because healthcare, in my opinion, is a right. Everybody deserves to have health care. Yeah, that's that's a bold statement, particularly in the United States, because it's, right. it seems as if the, the reality is that uh, health, uh, longevity, mortality, morbidity, all of that is related to socioeconomic status. I mean, that's that's well documented. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, it's not all about numbers and not statistics. It's about how are we how are we do we. Do we care about people? Where's the caring in healthcare? Uh, do we have a system that does more than just fixes the biochemistry and physiology? How do we go about finding what it is that makes people tick? And, and, and what is your belief in spirituality? Do you think that the, the spiritual aspects of what happened are all uh, intended and have a purpose behind them? You know, the scientists wouldn't say that, but the people who are in religion certainly would say that. And those are things that we have to think about. I think we need to to incorporate spirituality much more into the practice of medicine. You know, doctors, they, they go to church on Sunday for the most part. They go back to work on Monday and we're back in this scientific paradigm where we don't look at the, at the role of spirit and healing. And it may be the bottom line, the actual thing that's the most important as to why we get sick and what we have to do to improve our lives in every way. So when you when you refer to spirit, uh, to clarify that for our, our audience, you're not saying religion, are you? There's a big difference between religion and spirituality. I think spirituality is the mother of religion, but spirituality is our relationship, in my mind, with all that there is. And that can be done generically because it's a personal thing between me and my creator, or it can be something where you want some guidance. So you have a religion and they provide the guidelines that are supposed to be helpful for you and, and help so many people. You know, the other day I was talking to someone and, and they were saying that the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic reminded them of a scene in the film, The Wizard of Oz, where <laughs> where the, the, the munchkins and, and, and everyone have enjoyed this wonderful place. And they, they come to this spot and there's a curtain and the curtain slips open and they can see the wizard exposed for who he is. He's a he's an old man pulling some levers on a steam machine. And that kind of broke, you know, broke the dream for them. So so someone said to me, you know, the thing is that the COVID-19 has pulled back the curtain on the inequalities in the United States and in other parts of the world, to be fair, in terms of uh, opportunity of access, say, access to healthcare, access to education, access to housing. Um, and I just wonder, you know, as a practicing physician, um, how important you think it would be for people, for all people in the United States to have access to basic medical services? Oh, I think it's a right. And, and, and I want to point out that there are 19 industrialized countries in the world and only one doesn't have universal health care. It's the U.S. So it's definitely got disparities in it. And, and there are uninsured people. And as I said before, now that we have this COVID virus thing and people are being laid off and the economy is dropping, they've lost their jobs, they've lost their health insurance. We have to do something to, to, to bring that back because it just isn't right. There are people at the top level that don't distribute the finances of the government the way, in my mind, that should be done. 
we've got trillions of dollars we can put in to try and, and bailing out the banks back in 2008 and now bailing out uh, the, the, the workers today who are not able to work and, and feed their families. And if we've got that kind of money for that, why don't we have money for our homeless? Why don't we have money for people who are indigent that don't have health insurance? Why don't we support our veterans and those that are mentally ill that are living on the streets of America? We could do that, but for some reason, it doesn't happen. We've really lost our democracy and we've become an economy. And that's a very serious thing. Well, you know, I'd recently attended a, a, a series of, this was before the uh, the sheltering at home. I, did, I visited several uh, seminars and conferences about um, homelessness. And, and I was very surprised because a lot of experts came from medical schools, from uh, city government, uh, from all sorts of places. And there was no clear, there was no clear conclusion, say, about how to solve the homeless problem in the San Francisco Bay Area. Now, how, no matter how many events I went to and how many private conversations I had with experts, and then I saw the president of Finland interviewed, and she was asked, how do you solve the homeless problem in Finland? And she smiled and looked at the camera and she said, we give people homes. It is mandated by law that all people in Finland should have shelter. I'm not talking about a beach house. I'm not talking about, you know, a ski chalet. I'm just saying that every, everybody gets shelter. And in the rare cases where people were unwilling to, to, to take that shelter, they might have had mental illness problems or alcohol or drugs, in which case they go into a, a rehab program. Sure. But there in one sentence, we give people homes got to a conclusion that I was unable to get in all these events that I was attending in the Bay Area. And, yeah. and I wonder, Len, if that isn't very important for our discussion today, which is maybe if we went to the heart of the matter, if we asked clear questions and sought clear answers, if we looked for principles, that is to say, true in every case, if we were to ask the question, you know, what, what would a healthy society look like? What would the values be? Where would we put our money? Yeah. And that might, you know, what what we would produce at the end of our conversation would be a view that's slightly different or substantially different than what we have now. Well, it, it's not all about I, me, my, and mine. Okay. The problem is, is that in this culture, it's the individual that is is honored. So it's like, are you successful because you make a lot of money and you have power? Are you better than somebody else because you do? I think we're all equal. And we need to we need to honor that. And and if we if we had the community sense, which is what we've lost, we've lost our sense of community, we would be as strong as our weakest link. And the whole business of being human and connecting with human values that are important like that would be the, the primary thing that we need. What we have lost is our ability to care about other people to build community. We have to raise our level of consciousness from it being more narcissistic and related to what we want just for us and our families and realize that we live in a holism, in a whole world that is one thing. And we need to do what we can to support so that people are getting what the basic needs at least. And we need to come to the rescue. When we have evolved in that way, we won't be going over ways of trying to have revolutions where we revolve around the same problem and then we wind up in the same place we started but with another pretty face in charge we would actually have evolved so that we 
we care. It's not just about health care. It's about caring about people. And it's about wanting to live in community. It's going back to what it takes a village, you know, to raise a child. It takes a village. It takes a whole village to raise each community that exists. And, and you can expand that, expand that to whatever you want. It can be a global concept. It could be a cosmic concept. Depends on how you look at spirituality. Well, there's a, a new book out that I can highly recommend by Mark Moffat. It's called The Human Swarm, and it's about how societies uh, rise, thrive, and fall. He's actually a biologist who studied ants and other groups uh, with uh, E.O. Wilson at Harvard for a long time. And he says that the, the key to the success of most species, even loner species, is cooperation. And he says that the competitive nature of modern human industrial and post-industrial society, which hasn't been around for very long, you know, really, when you think about it in the history of humanity, uh, he said that is a rare thing. And this notion that some people are better than others, therefore, some people get the best health care they can pay for and others get get nothing. That is that is a, a that is not a cooperative model. That's a competitive model. And it seems to me that uh, that's part of the problem that we're talking about today, which is if you're competing with people, if it's a zero sum game that you're pursuing, why would you care about somebody who doesn't have the power to help you? Yeah, well, see, I think you can't judge somebody until you walk in their shoes. And so I'm always careful when a, a person comes into my office and is asking for help. I'm not critical of what they come to me with. I'm really interested. I'm listening and caring. Those are two powerful words. When I listen and care to people and don't interrupt them in the first 30 seconds, like a lot of, well, actually most doctors do because of how healthcare is today, then you have an opportunity to find out who they are and, and what makes them tick and what's important to them and find out what happened to them in their lives that turned out that they were having the disabilities that they're having. Because there is always a whole story. It's more about about listening and caring than it is treating a set of symptoms with a bag of tools, which is what medicine has been reduced to. Now, particularly that we have HMO medicine and people are working for big, doctors are working for big corporations. And the bottom line is time is money. So you're going to have to put into that what you, what you are allowed to. And you can't spend the two hours I spend with a new patient and you can't charge them exorbitant funds to be able to do it. If you belong to an HMO of some kind, you've got to, you may have a half an hour or 45 minutes to try and put together somebody's life story. It's like a joke. Are you kidding me? And if you don't participate that, you're back in practice, in private practice as I am, and you can't make a dime with a full-time practice. I actually haven't made a dime in 10 years in my practice, and I am having the best time. I so much enjoy being with people and listening and caring and supporting what their needs are and and that's that's what that is why I went to medical school. Well, you know that raises a question for me because uh, I was recently reading a book about the history of hospitals, and I was surprised to hear that the word hospital itself comes from uh, a European medieval European concept called houses of hospitality, Shit, and was- and they were run by religious orders, and uh, indigent people could come and they could get a bed, and they could get food, and they could get medical care and some spiritual guidance, what have you. And they sounded more like shelters to me. So how did we get from a 
you know, healthcare provision system that was fairly simple to the one we have now. The old one was based on charity, charitable giving, and the current one is is a business model. How did we end up with healthcare in the business sector? When think of when you were a medical student and you learned the Hippocratic Oath: yeah. if you cannot do good, at least do no harm. Yeah. How is it that healthcare is delivered to people when they're injured, or and then they're charged? Now, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not saying I, I totally disapprove. I'm simply saying it seems to me that if that's the dominant paradigm, there will inevitably be a lot of people who are excluded and who will not be getting the early uh, treatments that they need, particularly children. Well, that's true. And, and all of this really started during World War II, you know, when there were wage freezes and people didn't go to the doctor much. You know, the doctor would come and he'd He'd drive uh, to your home and maybe you didn't have any money. He'd give you a chicken or they'd give you a chicken or and you would do the services as you provided. And it was a community thing. But back in the in the middle of that war, at World War II, the, with the price fees, uh, wage freezes, what they did is they began to give benefits instead of money. And so healthcare was one of those things that became a benefit. And then doctors or, or people began to feel like they deserved to have something for what they were getting. So they went more to see the doctor. And this has expanded to the point now where a lot of my office is busy with things that are sometimes not that important. And what I've learned in the last three or four weeks since we've had this shutdown, I've closed my practice and I don't get a whole lot of calls from my patients. I get a few now and then, but it wouldn't be anywhere near what I would need to be able to sustain some kind of business. So Things have changed, and now we feel entitled to the services that are provided by the doctor that we have through our insurance company. Well, that just, that's perfect, because I just got a question from somebody saying, uh, we've been lulled into the idea that to have health care, you have to have health insurance. Mm. Do we think about it? Okay, you and I are talking about a healthy society, and there's a certain amount of pie in the sky here, and there's a certain amount of practicality about it. Why do we have to have health insurance at all? Yeah, well, it's for disasters. You know, insurance is for providing us with services that we can't pay for if they happen. Uh, but the the problem is, is we can't afford uh, that. Nobody can afford to not have it. If we just were sensible and had universal health care that was provided by the government, that would be more of a situation where we wouldn't have to worry about the insurance problem because insurance companies, let's face it, they're, they're in business to make money. The bottom line is, is they want their investors to have a return on their, on their money. Uh, but that's not the way it should work. So, I mean, that's why we have health share, uh, health insurance, but it's, it's too bad. If we work as a community and we support everybody, then the idea of exchanging money for services like that, that are our rights is just going too far. So, you know, you, you said something earlier in the conversation, which, which I've heard before, and it, it does bother me deeply, which is that we spend substantially more per capita on healthcare than our, our uh, industrial competitors, you know, in, in Japan and Korea and uh, in Europe. And yet we're number 37 in terms of health outcomes. So my businessman brain says this is a system that is inefficient. It is it is ineffective. It is uh, too expensive. 
So if you if you and I were like, you know, the health czars of the United States, which I might add, we are not, but, you know, we're, <laughs> will, like we're to willing be. to offer, have the job offered to us. <laughs> but yes. if that was our job, we might ask ourselves a simple question and we might say, well, number 37 is referring to health outcomes. So yes. it seems like if we wanted to improve health outcomes in the United States, we would we would change the formula. Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, what we're paying for is far in excess of what we need for good health. We have all these expensive tests so that when the doctors are getting reimbursed for the services they provide through testing, there becomes a conflict of interest. And I'm not saying that's the, the, the big problem there, but it's part of it. It's the people who are looking at healthcare as a business itself rather than a service. As soon as it becomes a service, then we're going to do what we need to do to help people get back on their feet, back to work, and to feel like they're feeling good in every area of their, area of their life. But when they can't do that, uh, uh, then we start spending lots of money. We spend 18% of the gross national product on health care. That's $3 trillion. There's a country in the Middle East called Oman that spends $500 a year per person, and they have better outcomes in the U.S. because they're ranked in the top 10. It's unbelievable. So it's not about how much money we can make through business. It's about how much service we can provide by, by listening and caring and being with people and connecting with what they need so they can, they can have happy lives. That's, where the, that's the bottom line. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to push back a little bit harder on this topic because we're 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 talking about a healthy society. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that the the topic that continuously gets dodged by politicians of pretty much every stripe is you know what is the obligation of the state of the government to its people. And you know in in almost every society protecting the people is is very high on the list and people often think of that in terms of a military spending. Uh, our government will make sure we have a standing army, so if the neighboring yeah. country invades us, boy, we'll be ready. And we'll have good <laughs> uniforms, too. Uh, but that, to me, seems uh, an antiquated way of looking at this. If, if we were going to consider how the government could protect the people now, I would think in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic... Uh, Allowing people who are losing their jobs, and I think we had, what, 26 million people sign up for unemployment benefit, unprecedented in my lifetime. Uh, And how many dependents do they have? So we could be talking 50, 60, 80 million people. Uh, For people to lose their health insurance because they lose their job and therefore would not want to go see a doctor, even though they are infected, to me seems foolhardy at best. Well, look, there are 19 industrialized countries in the world. They have 18 of them have health care that's universal. The U.S. is not one of them. We spend more than twice as much as any other country in the world on health care. Our outcomes are 37th in the world. We need to do something different. What's wrong? We've, we've lost the democracy that, we, that our forefathers gave us, that they died for. And we've gone into an area where we've become an economy and business becomes the bottom line. So it's the return on investment that matters. It's not about caring and and listening to people. It's not about building community. 
it's actually doing quite the reverse. We've become a, a competitive mess. I think any kind of government can work, whether it be communism, democracy, or socialism, or you name it, as long as we have good people running it who have the intent of building community as the primary thing. And we have people who are responsible citizens. I'm afraid that what we need now is because we have lost our connection with, with Congress, with our with the people that are making the rules, we have lost our relationship with them and we're back on our own. We have to build this up from the grassroots again. And we may have to go back to what happened in 1776 with the Declaration of Independence and start earning this because we're so used to having it that we just take it for we take it for granted. That's not how democracy works the best. That's not how capitalism works the best, but it can. Well, it can. you know, uh, we've had a few comments coming in on the comment bar here saying that they really liked us uh, talking about um, cooperation uh, and talking about care. You know, and I was really thinking that the United States has had numerous examples where the government and the private sector and the citizens have pulled together cooperatively to address uh, huge problems. Here's two examples. One is that uh, with our allies, we defeated fascism in Europe and yep. in Asia on, on two global fronts simultaneously. Uh, and uh, we put uh, men on the moon. And, and it seems hard to believe that 75 years after the first thing and 50 years or so after the second, uh, you know, we're struggling to figure out how to test people for COVID-19. It seems like we've, we've become a nation of incompetence and, and there's, there's so much inefficiency in the healthcare system, which is why we spend so much more for so much less than some other countries. We can cooperate. We have cooperated. We have cared. We cared for the triumph of democracy. We cared to end tyranny. We cared to go to the moon, you know, we, for technological supremacy, whatever you want to call it. So why can't we harness that cooperative, generous spirit and prioritize the health of the American people? Well, it comes down to priorities and what your values are. If your values are, well, things are going okay. I've got a couple of cars. I've got a house. I might even have a boat. Uh, I'm, I'm not suffering any. I've got a job that works okay. My kids are going to college. That's cool. Uh, but that's not the way the whole country is. And our values are not built on the development of community. They're quite the reverse. They're built on narcissism. It's I, me, my, and mine again. It's how am I going to provide for myself and my family? And, and in times of disaster, when we're all suffering, then we pull together. And it's at those times that we remember who we are and how we can... Uh, support one another. So we have to do that and we have to evolve. See, we're stuck in a paradigm uh, that's narcissistic. And, it's, and as long as it's that way, we have nowhere to go because it's always going to be fragmented and we're going to be suffering because of that. When we get past that and we truly care and we truly listen to people and listen to our weakest links and we get people off the street, we give them homes like they do in some of the other countries of the world, then things are going to be different. Then we'll have something where we can say, wow, we have come so far. We are human beings on a spiritual path and our spirituality has grown to a place now where it's taking precedence. We know what's right. 
but we don't always practice what's right because we're scared. We have this fear that we don't have enough. And because, you know, my parents lived through the depression, yours too. And that left a, a mark on my family where we worried about things that had to do with being able to have a home and food on the table. And a lot of the world is like that. So we need to get, we need to come together. We need to support one another. We need to build community. We need to start sharing, giving, and loving as the primary thing, rather than taking advantage of people so it, it, that we get better at their expense. So let's get practical now. Okay. So earlier on, by the way, I do remember everything you say. <laughs> earlier on. It's mutual. You referred to, you know, these 17 other countries, you know, having a universal healthcare system. And yeah. without having a dictionary in front of me, you know, I think the word universal means, apart from good movies, universal means uh, in every case or, or everywhere. Mm -hmm. So universal healthcare to me means available uh, to everybody. Yeah. Now that is, I lived in the UK for, for 10 years. Sure. Yes, of course there are private hospitals. Yes, yeah. it's possible to have uh, special surgeries at great expense, but right. there is universal health care, which means there are some waiting lists, but people do get treated uh, based on immediate need for what they need. Don't yeah. you think that, you know, to cut to the chase as we're about halfway through this conversation that one of the first things that we need to demand as citizens in the United States as we're approaching an election is a universal health care system. And I want to qualify that. I'm okay. not saying Medicare for all, because you and I both feel the current health care system is not something we necessarily want everybody to have. That's right. We'd like to see a different system, and we can talk about health medicine in a moment. Sure. Well, it's a step in the right direction, Robbie. It's a step in the right universal health care. Everybody should have health care, but we don't want to give health care that's not ideal to everybody. And that's one of the problems. So we have a, a financially based system that is taking precedence over service. And as long as we've got that, we're not going to be able to have the ability to listen, care, to be with people, to not just get them back on their feet and back to work, but actually find out what makes them tick to be with them, to support them, to help build the development of community, to be giving, sharing, and loving. Those are the things that are the ingredients. That's the recipe for a successful healthcare system. It needs to be based on, on the village where we're supporting one another. And this universal healthcare doesn't do that. Universal healthcare is just at least giving the uninsured the opportunity to get some healthcare and, and maybe not going broke. You know, the leading cause of of financial ruin, of bankruptcy in this country, is 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 healthcare problems. It's yeah, but all these problems. all these statistics and all these statements, we you and I both know the truth of this. We I, I've I've heard this actually most of my life. So so as far as I'm concerned, you know maybe we've come to a moment in the COVID nineteen pandemic where something has fundamentally changed, which is that people can see what happens if the machine doesn't keep going. I mean, so yeah. many people have lost their jobs. So many people have lost the, the healthcare provision. Many are losing their homes. And if you and I were to ask each other, you know, what are the components of a healthy life? Shelter, clean water, you know, clean air, sure. nutritious food. So if you have a system that provides these things, uh, governed by market forces for money, 
but the system stops working and people don't even have the money to buy it, whether it's right or wrong. We've got a crisis on our hands, not dissimilar, perhaps, to what triggered wars in the past or, you know, this is like a war in a way. Well, it is. COVID-19 is a war and there are going to be casualties. We have to know that. But COVID-19 isn't a lot different than influenza epidemics of the past. In fact, the, the death rates are about the same and the, the prevalence is about the same. And why all of a sudden now have we gotten so excited about this this year? What's different about this year? And it doesn't make sense. And nobody much is talking about that in the mainstream. What we're doing is saying, oh, well, we got to keep our safe distance. We have to be uh, in a lockdown. Uh, we, we have to wash our hands and do all those things. And they're important. But we're not looking at some of the things that are possible that we can do for this illness. As a doctor, I know there are things that we can do for this, but it's not very popular. And when, you, when you've got your FDA and NIH and CDC uh, and other groups that are trying to support their interest in this without looking at some of the possible things that we can do uh, because they're available and not testing for them, something's wrong with this picture. So I don't understand what's actually happened. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm the furthest from it. But when you see the puzzle start to fit together, then you're going to start asking the questions like you just asked me. And the answer is, we've got a lot to learn about this. We have a lot to, to get more mature about. We have to find a way to get together and support what's happening in a way that makes more sense. And we have to realize we are in a war with that virus. And there will be casualties. And the question is, how do we do it the most intelligent way? We do it like Sweden does it, where there's no lockdown and they're doing better than the rest of the world? Is that some kind of fluke? I don't know. So you asked a really tough question that leads to more questions. On that, I mean, yes, that's, that's why I do my radio show, or, or the, the video show on my website every day, is because we're talking about different aspects of that. You know, I mean, again, um, since we're talking about a, a, a healthy society, I mean, it, it just strikes me that, um, again, it's pretty obvious to me, and I'd like to hear if it's obvious to you, that in the United States, we actually don't have a healthcare system. We, we have systems. We have systems. Yeah. So, yes. so Kaiser is a system and Blue Shield's a system and the VA is a sure. system. And the, and the systems are, are self-referential, you know, in the sense that you need to be within the system and use the, yeah. um, and, uh, they're in silos. So yeah. if, you know, again, if we were the health czar of the United States and our job was to improve the health outcomes of the American people, that would be very difficult to do given the way the healthcare systems are designed in this country. And it seems to me that if you look at a universal healthcare system, it's one system. So, well, so for example, what surprises people is in, in the UK, the National Health Service uh, negotiates substantial discounts on drugs and on diagnostics and tools. Medicare, not a lot of Americans know what I'm going to say right now. Medicare is prevented from negotiating on price. Yeah, I know. So our drugs are among the highest in the world. Well, there's inefficiency right there. Yeah, well, see, we're looking at a disease care system. This isn't a healthcare system. It should be a, a disease care system because that's what it is. 
We wait until we get sick and then we try to pick up the pieces. Then we spend a ton of money trying to make it better when we wouldn't have to do that. If we just realize that lifestyle is the most important medicine in the, med medicine in the universe. So we should be paying attention to the style in which we live our lives. So it's about diet, exercise, stress reduction, sleep, what you weigh, what you're exposed to. And most importantly, how do you get that inner smile? How do you feel good about who you are and how you relate to your family and your community? That's real medicine. That's what we should be doing. And, that, and medicine is not just about drugs and surgery. Medicine is the spirit of how to create community and wellness in the community. So for our younger viewers who are looking at two older guys, I want to dispel any idea you have that we are just moaners and groaners, okay? We are now going to sure. talk about uh, practical ways that you and I think that everyone watching can begin to change this ship in the harbor. Let's move the ship because we know everyone can go to the web and they can find out we do, we're not the world leader in healthcare. We don't have the best outcomes. We cost more than everybody else. Tons yeah. of people don't get to see doctors. Tons of people are locked into inferior housing right now. You know, many yeah. people are working for extremely poor uh, wages. So Len, yeah. what are we going to do? Well, in 1994, that finally got to me. And so I, I met with a, with a group of people in 1992, and we were trying to define what the new medicine would be. And we thought, how, how are we going to name it? Because everybody's talking about we have to do something different than what's in the mainstream. And the 10 of us were there, came up with the idea it should have something to do with health. you know. So we want to have that word in it. And the other word we should have in it is the word medicine. But it's, it's a clever way of using medicine because it's not meaning about drugs and surgeries and technologies. It's about the spirit of medicine. It's what we had in the old days uh, when we didn't have health insurance. So health medicine is a term we came up with. And then I was so moved by that that I developed an organization called the Health Medicine Forum. And our job was to try and define what health medicine means. And over the years that we were together, we came up with four things. One is that we should be open to any kind of medicine there is. It should be integrative. It should be holistic, meaning it looks at the whole person. And, is, and the third thing is that it be humanistic, meaning that it's person-centered. And it should be preventive. And that's the model that we came up with. Okay. So let's try and translate that into practicality. Because okay. you've heard me talk about, you know, Finland's provision of homes. So I'm big on making sure people have a place to live in. I'm big on people being able to have, you know, decent food, having, you know, employment that supports them. And it seems to me that, that there's that angle, then there's the angle you've just discussed. When you talk about community, it seems to me we, we have to talk about money. And I've got a, several uh, questions and comments coming in my bar about this, saying the money has to come from the federal government on an ongoing basis because private industry will not support this. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, it doesn't, I don't think that's true. If we have a group of people, a community, a national community, where we, where we care, we have listening and caring, and we don't judge people until we walk in their shoes, we can do what we want. We can give, we can support healthcare and every other aspect of what we need in the community to be successful if we want to. It doesn't have to be in terms of money. 
know, money is a is a wonderful thing. It, they, people say it's the root of all evil. It is not the root of all evil. It's the way we use it that's not so healthy, or and it becomes evil. When we're trying to build community and we support one another, we can use that money the way we want to. And in a and in a government that's built on being by and for the people, then we should be able to create a healthcare system that makes sense, where everybody's getting what they need. It's about community. Who pays for it? We pay for it. We, the people, pay for it. But we don't have to pay $3 trillion a year for it and then get back what we're getting for it. We could spend $1 trillion or $500 billion. It's a lot of money. And be able to provide what is still very good health care that doesn't have too many expensive tests, that doesn't treat people in the last year of life with half of the expenses that we spend in health care. More of it could be spent on prevention and wellness, particularly in the pediatric age group. You know, our our mortality rate for infants is not not the best in the world. We're down around countries that, that you would think are, are not such advanced countries. So, yeah, we're going to we are going to pay for it. But now we're paying through the nose for it. That's different. So in, in one of your books, the uh, healthcare reform, the word reform is in the subtitle. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I'm going to push you on this practical point again, which is what does what does reform actually look like in this country? You know, so for example, let's say I don't know how it would be done because I'm not a politician and I'm not a lawyer. But if, for example, Medicare was given powers to negotiate prices, that that might change, you know, the cost structure, for example, or if the federal government were to put caps on certain things may not be popular in certain groups. But it seems to me that unless we control costs and unless we improve efficiency, we're going to continue to to spend more and more of our GDP until we no longer can. Well, that's true. And that's what we do have to stop. We have to be have to use common sense in how we spend our money. We have to evolve to the point where we can spend money on the things that are right, the things that we need, not on the things that just make money. So when our whole structure, our our economy is built on return on investment, then the goal of the individuals in the community is going to be to make money because that's supposed to bring us happiness. But I got to tell you, I've got a lot of patients, a lot of people that I work with who are very wealthy people. They're not happy because they have money necessarily. Now, they have a different problem than people who don't have money. So we have to look at at people in different ways when they come into into our world and we're going to try and support them. And I think that's where it leads to. It's about using common sense and trying to figure out how you're going to go about doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious that people with money have have more choices and they have more opportunities. So so if you own your own home uh, free and clear, you're not going to be thrown out by a landlord because you've lost your job at the chicken factory. Yeah. Well, keep in mind that when you have money, you're, you don't own it any more than it owns you. So your possessions become obligations. And then, it, then there's a lot of fear. I mean, we can distract ourselves into how we're going to, what our values are. And we can pay attention to those the way we feel we should. And that doesn't necessarily make for happy happiness. And for people who live in community and care about each other, it's not like the Italians who had COVID 
uh, 19 and they were singing in their balconies. I mean, that kind of spirit to me is wonderful to see that kind of connection. That's what's missing. That's the part that we all want. So how can, how can we harness this innate sense that we have to care for others, to love others, um, to, you know, in friendship and fellowship and parenting, how can we encourage uh, a situation where people cooperate more, yeah. collaborate more, and we don't have a scenario like now in the COVID-19. I know, well, it's, it's I, I know very, people who are making it, money on the stock market right now while others are, are languishing. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a very sad thing that things are like that because it, it doesn't have to be that way. We, you know, our money isn't what it's all about. It's, it, it's about we're the happiest when we're in community and it's what we all crave. We all want to be loved and love needs to be unconditional. It's not something you take. It's something that you give unconditionally and something you receive with gratitude. When we are in a, in a situation like that and we're living for one another and with everybody, none of these things are problems. We have this deep fear that if we don't take care of ourselves, that we're going to be without. And then we forget about what it is that we really want. What we really want is to be in community with people and to have a good time because we, we share all those things that are important in life together. It's going through life together with partners rather than having a war. There should be no wars. But unfortunately, there are. Well, we have to grow up and we're doing it the hard way. And until we do that, until we evolve to that kind of consciousness, it's going to continue like that. So the buck stops with each one of us. So until we take that responsibility, nothing is going to change. And it takes a lot of courage and it's a slow process, but it's happening. I think I see things that have happened in the last 30 years that really encourage me that we're making progress. When I first started out saying, oh, we got to have health medicine, integrative, holistic, person-centered, preventive medicine. Everybody said, oh, that's nice, Len. And they, they cheered me. Six weeks later, after I had said that, they said, oh, Saputo's gone around the bend. And now 30 years later, there's talk. It's their idea, not my idea. And things are changing. And they're not happening, happening at the speed I'd like to see. I mean, 30 years is a long time. But they're changing. I have, I have faith in that now. Well, I think that's, that's heartening. And I, I agree with you on that. Um, you know, this business of being sheltered at home in the middle of one of the greatest crises in American history, in, in the history of my lifetime, has been deeply frustrating because in the past, when there's been a crisis, people reach out, they play music, they, right. they have a beer, they give each right. other hugs. Yeah, they go dancing. You name it. Uh, and here we've been forced to, to be stuck at at home or shelter in some form. But the good news is, and it's happening right now in this program with the Commonwealth Club, we've all discovered how to use technology to connect. And I must yes. admit, I have connected to more people yes. in the last month. Now, it doesn't give me the same, you know, sense of joy that seeing someone face to face does and giving them that hug. But it shows that human beings are capable of doing things differently if they understand a reason to do so. And maybe that's part of the, 
the way it's, forward for us. It's so right. You know, it reminds me of an old Indian story. The warrior comes up to the Indian chief and he says, you know, I, I, I've been a warrior and I'm proud of all the things I've done for my community, but I want to, I also want to have this community, this love in my heart. And the chief looks at him and he says, well, you can look at it as two wolves. The one that will grow is the one that you feed. And that's where we are. And we're slowly coming to the realization that we can change. We can make a difference. And I think that everything we think and do puts a message out to every molecule in the universe in some small way so that it registers. Now, it doesn't make huge changes. We're like grains of sand on the beaches of the universe. So it's not much, but it's something. And the universe can't be whole without every single grain of sand that's there. That's what holism is all about. And that is something that, that gives me confidence and uh, trust that we, we can do this together. And we're making one step at a time, little by little, one step at a time, and things are changing. But there also is the other side of it, sure. I think you're right, because I think the most important thing is, is for people to reach out um, to others and to care and to share. I was privileged to be invited to a breakfast uh, a year and a half ago at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco on Knob Hill. And I ended up sitting next to someone who I'd never met before. His name's Aaron Grizel, and he's the executive director of the Northern California Martin Luther King Community Foundation. And Aaron and I just hit it off. You know, sometimes you meet people and you just hit it off and there's good energy. And we followed up. And a year ago, we did an event in San Francisco on MLK Day. And the theme was, we are all in this together. Yeah. And and Aaron really changed my life because after having met him, I went to the bookstore. And what's a bookstore, right? I went to the bookstore and I bought myself a couple of books by Dr. King. and I, And I read them. And this notion uh, that, you know, it is it is hardwired in our being to love and to care and have compassion, I think that is what we have to really tap into because right. I don't think it's out there. I think it's in here. That's right. Right now. And, and Aaron and Dr. King, their message was stay with it. Reach yeah. out. And, and I think that's, you know, why would we let our brothers and sisters languish in society if we really cared? Yeah. Well, it's about fear. See, fear runs so much of our lives and takes us in a direction where we can't do the, we don't do the right thing because we're afraid of it. If we, you know, everything I ever needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. Remember that book? We hold hands, we have warm milk and cookies, and we just play together and have a good time. And then education takes over and we wind up being rocket scientists and doctors and astrophysicists. And that's fine. But we forget about the things that are the most important in life. And that's not really encouraged or taught in a community that's built on, on I, me, my, and mine and, and being narcissistic. We have a drive in us to love one another and to love ourselves. And we have to return to that. That's the healing part of this. Thank you. As we move near the end of our program... Um, I'd like to ask you, oh, rather, the way we're going to do it, that's right. I'm going to make a couple of, uh, 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 a bit of advice on, on what our audience can do immediately to start mm -hmm. moving in the right direction. And then, then you'll give some 
uh, okay. some advice too. So okay. I think number one, it's really important to be active. I think that active engagement with one's health uh, is is the only way you're going to get healthy, which is you know exercise and diet and spend time with your friends and loved ones, because there is a concept called return on engagement. ROE, not return, not ROI, not return on investment, but return on engagement. And, and the idea is, is that the more you give, the more you get back. Okay. But the giving is an active, it's an active of action. The other thing is, I think it's really important for members of our audience to find ways to commit to alternatives. So we've talked about expressing your caring nature. And instead of snapping at your partner, which I sometimes do, I have to say, and apologize immediately, you know, we have a choice in the moment, like, oh, I'm going to commit to being more caring and loving and giving today because we've been, you know, locked in for extended period of time. Or I'm going to be more caring when I see that person in the grocery store with the mask who looks scary. And the last thing I'll say is I feel it's really important to be politically engaged. Because at the end of the day, I think getting a different healthcare system does require engaging with the political system. So find, you know, some kind of a, an initiative or someone in your local area that you can support and work with. And I think it's very important to be local and not just focus on national elections or saving the rainforest, even though that's important. But work on your school system locally or work on parks or whatever. So I think those three things all organized around active engagement. And that's what I intend to do. Those are beautiful. I, I agree with all the things that you said. I think it's going to come from within within us. It's not going to be legislated. This is going to be from inspiration of us realizing that what we need is connection with people. And we have to evolve to a place where we lose our fear and we begin to support one another by sharing, giving, and loving. And it needs to be unconditional. It's given because you want to, and you want someone to be happy. It's not about taking. Love is never for taking. And if we can live that way and we can change, everything will change around us because we'll be inspired and committed to making it happen. When that happens, the world will be different. You matter. Every single person matters. And what you think, every thought you have, and every action you take has an impact on every molecule in the universe. And if you believe that, and I think deep in my heart, I know that's right. So for me, that's how I go about it. Then I try to be the best person I can. I go back to the golden rule. I want to do unto others what I want done to myself. Not because I want the return on that, in, uh, on that action. It's because I want you to be happy. It makes me happy when you're happy. And that is a lot of the reason why I'm here on planet Earth. So if we can look to empower ourselves, to look inside, and see that we can do things and we do make a difference. When we do that in mass, you know, we have more than two or three people together, things happen that are different. And, and the, and the, and the effect that has on all that exists in the universe will come back at you. So know that you're important. Know that you can make the change. Do the thing that feels right because you think that's what you should do. And that's what I would leave you with. Well, Thank you, Dr. Len Saputo, for making me feel really happy <laughs> as a result of our hour-long conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed talking with you today. 
Thank you. It's been a pleasure for me too, because it's a chance for us to share the things that we've worked for 30 or 40 years on with an audience that's pretty, pretty smart. And I think that's why they've asked some of the questions they have. So I appreciate the opportunity and thank you for having me, Robbie. Yes, you're welcome. And I think we should thank our audience uh, who, who have uh, who have watched this and uh, given us some questions that we've tried to address. Um, the Commonwealth Club uh, has frequent online programming. In fact, it's exclusively online. And I encourage you to look at the website, uh, commonwealthclub.org, and see uh, other topics that may intrigue you. Uh, also, I hope to encourage you to consider making some kind of a donation according to your ability, uh, although the programs are free. And uh, I want to thank uh, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative and a collaboration of local uh, funders and donors who are keeping the Commonwealth Club programming going during this very difficult time. So uh, without further ado, have a good evening. This program is now concluded. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thank you.